It, yeah, it's a privilege to be here together. It really is. It's great to be able to be here together as meeting as God's people and doing church together. It, it is a good thing. Last week, we talked about our attitude to church. In other words, we, we actually asked the question, um, uh, what are you thinking as you walk into church? As you walk in through those doors, that sort of, that sort of question. Uh, our attitude to church as we walk in. And then we thought, talked about, too, God's attitude to church. So what is God thinking as we walk through those doors? And that's a bit of a, well, that's a bit of a scary question. But we did rule out a number of things. But actually what God's thinking is that us as his people gathering together is special and precious. That's what we concluded from what we read in God's word. That as we walk in the door, what's God thinking? Well, God's thinking that church is special and precious. That's what he's thinking as we saw in his word. Then I gave you some homework. So I wonder how you went with the homework today. The homework was, if the dog ate it or something like that and you, you know, couldn't get it. If the, the homework was pray about where you sit. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to look too hard at people right now because I know where a lot of you sit. You all sit the same places most of the time. Um, that's, a, that's okay. Now pray about where you, <laughs> where you sit. In other words, what we were asking is uh, who you, pray about who you can encourage, who you can love, who you can help. That was the idea. And I encourage you to keep doing that. As you walk through those doors, maybe when you're pulling the driveway, pray about who you can encourage, who you can help, who you can um, uh, love. And if you pray about where you sit, you see, it helps you to do that. That's all it is. It's very simple. This prayer shapes our attitude to church, doesn't it? It would. That's what it, it would do. It shapes our attitude and aligns our attitude to God's attitude to church. All right, well, this week, though, we're actually thinking about building and spectating. I'll get to that in a moment as well. Second part of our series on loving your church. And um, as I said, I hope you're enjoying it. We're going to have a Q&A at the end. So if you want to scribble a few notes down, uh, you're welcome to do that. And then um, ask a question at the end. Last week, we got some great questions. And so let's keep that going. That'd be good. How about I pray for us? And then we uh, will get stuck in. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we can uh, meet here freely and discuss uh, what you have to say to us. We pray that we would listen with open hearts and minds and we pray that we'd put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me ask you a question as we begin. Why did you come to church this morning? Don't answer it out loud. Well, actually, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the time just for a moment, just in your own in yourself, in your own head, I want you to answer that question and remember your answer. Can you do that? Why did you come to church this morning? Now, probably lots of, questions, lots of answers to that. Right, but why did you come this morning? Everyone got an answer in their heads? I hope so. Yes, good. Get something there. All right. Excellent. Don't forget it. I'm going to come back to it in about eh, 15 minutes. See so how we go. You see, there's lots of things we can do on a Sunday morning, aren't there? there are lots of things. Uh, I spoke last week about my... The challenge of surfing. Surfing or church? What would I do if I wasn't working here? Um, <laughs> uh, church is not the only thing we can do on a weekend, uh, on a Sunday morning. For example, you could go gardening. You could, you could garden away. R- Robertson's known for its gardens. We even have a, some sort of gardening festival thing. I don't know when it's on. <laughs> Talk to someone who cares. Um, but um, Bunnings will tell you now is the time for those outdoor projects. You know, thank you Bunnings to tell us those things. We didn't know. Um, a number of years ago when the kids were little, and I'm starting to share more of these stories now because my kids have left home. 
Um, two of them have, anyway. Um, so a number of years ago, when the kids were little, uh, we bought a second-hand cubby house. In fact, we actually we did own a cubby house before then. It was one of those pretty ones, but it was fairly light. And what happened? Well, in a wild Camberwarra, we used to live down at Camberwarra, that way, a uh, wild windstorm, which you get down there in August and September particularly, on a Sunday morning we were at church, this thing got blown to pieces. It's unbelievable. It's like it exploded. And so we came home from church and it was spread across the whole back garden. Little pieces everywhere, little fragments of this, this nice little pretty cubby house. So the next cubby house we were going to buy had to survive these, what I call, level 11 Camberwarra winds. Just incredible. Well, as it turns out, a neighbour around the corner in Camberwarra was selling one of those old cubby, you know, fort styles. Now, it wasn't as flash as that. It was much bigger and wider, but that's the best picture I can get. But, you know, it's made of that old treated pine. It's, it, it's very, very heavy and it's very, very solid, right, this thing. I'll tell you more about that picture on the right in a moment. So that how, here was the challenge. How are we to get that structure home and then put it together and build it? Well, we needed, I needed some mates to help me, so we did that. The fort, though, this solid, heavy fort, was um, about two kilometres away in Camborra village where we lived. So not, a, not, a, not as big as Robbo or anything, but a small little village. So here's what we decided. Rather than take it all apart, bit by bit, you know, take it across the trailer and so on, no, we'd walk it through the streets. <laughs> so we picked it up and we walked it. There we went. Actually, we, worked, we got it in three large sections, but each of those sections were very, very heavy and very awkward and so on. But the eight of us walked it around the corner. Well, actually, more than the corner. It was about two kilometres. We walked it home, and um, we would get it home. We'd build it together. So you can imagine us, eight of us, around the streets of Camberwara, lifting this rather heavy wooden fort uh, on a Saturday morning, it was. Uh, well, actually, people came out of their houses to cheer. <laughs> it was a bit like the, um, the Tour de France, except... <laughs> It was very, very much slower than that, and we were carrying a fort. Um, so once we got to the house, uh, we dug the holes, we cemented it in. Now, I got a little bit carried away with the cement. Um, Michelle will tell you that as well, that it, it uh, very carried away, as it turns out. I didn't, need, you didn't, didn't think you needed four bags per post, but that's okay, um, if you know anything about it. <laughs> anyway, this thing is not going to move. In fact, it's going to outlast us for centuries, and, and it will go on and on and on. It was not going anywhere. We put it all together, we built it all. It was a great day. Um, we, together we lifted, together we walked, together we talked, we worked, we built. At the end of the day, uh, well, we, to celebrate, we went out and we watched a Bond movie. What a great way to do it, blokes doing blokey things. Watching a Bond movie, now a theatre at its finest, kicking back, sitting in comfortable chairs, sipping on drinks, um, sharing some popcorn. It was very good, watching Bond do his thing. Actually, truth is, we didn't go and see a movie. Um, I, I just made that up for the sake of the illustration. We just went home. But <laughs> pretend we did go and see a movie, all right? I can't lie to you. So here's my question. Here's my question. That's, that's the movie there. It's not even us. Um, which of these two activities are more like church? Don't answer just yet. But which of these two activities are more like church? The truth is, for many people, church is more like the latter, Watching a Bond movie, going to the movies, going to the theatre. Uh, for many people, church is an event you attend or watch where you're almost a spectator. 
or even a consumer hoping to receive more or some sort of entertainment or benefit or inspiration or something like that. And sometimes, a bit of an irony this is, but the more effective the leaders and the organisers of the church meeting are, the easier it is to become, for the people to become more like spectators and consumers. So a good example, say, is, is if, um, if a church has a fantastic, you know, awesome music ministry, right, well, people may well simply come to the church because uh, it, it, it has this excellent, uplifting singing time. And, and in fact, the singing time might even become like a concert. Another example is uh, perhaps the church has, an, has such an excellent, high-quality uh, Bible teaching, and that is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes one unintended result can be that people only come along to the church to hear the great preacher. So you can end up with a, a situation where there's just one speaker and a large number of listeners, passengers, if you like. So what's church more like then? Uh, is it more like a group of friends with a common goal working together? Or maybe that vision of church is something that well, you're, not, you're not so keen on. Uh, maybe you'd prefer to you know, go in a movies type church, sitting back, watching on. Like last week, what we need to do, we need to see what God says about church. We need to open our Bibles up and see what God says. We're going to look at two passages in the New Testament. Um, we've just had them read before to us from Jim. Um, we're going to start at Hebrews and get that open if you want to right now. And then we're going to go across to 1 Corinthians and flip around there a little bit as well. Uh, they, these passages describe for us what church is um, and what should happen there as well. Now, if you've got a Bible, great, or you use your, you know, use your phone or whatever. As, as I said before, we, we still, there's COVID restrictions still on, on us sharing um, books and that sort of stuff. So we're, as far as I know, we're still not allowed to have church, church Bibles. So I just encourage you to bring your Bible to church. It's easy that. And, um, and if someone doesn't have one next to you, you can share it with them. All right. Um, now, the other thing I want to tell you too, you can see there's an outline there uh, in, your, um, in your bulletins. Look, that outline was really good about five days ago. Um, it's not as good now. So uh, you feel, feel free to follow along, but it won't help you much. We're actually going backwards, if anything. Um, so it's a good bit of paper to write some things down. And actually on the back you'll find a blank. That might be most helpful. Anyway, that's okay. All right. Well, there are some actually, at the bottom of that outline, there are some things you can read following on from today. You might want to do that. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll go from verse 19. I'm going to read that passage out. It's only a short passage. I'll read it out again for us. It starts off with this, Therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Whenever I read this passage, I think of a, I don't know how helpful it is to remember the passage, but I heard this sermon once, I won't mention the church, and the guy got up to preach, and what he had in front of him on the lectern was four lettuces, like vegetables. You remember this? Four lettuces, and I think there are four lettuces 
in that passage. So it's funny, isn't it? There might be more. There might be five. Maybe he had five. He just brought out these lettuces. So that doesn't help us much at all right now, and that's okay. I just thought I'd share it with you. So back to what the passage says, though. Uh, let, me, let me take a few steps back with Hebrews. See, Hebrews, one of the great things about the book of Hebrews is that it makes it clear how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. And that's what I love about it. In fact, I think it's the best commentary on the Old Testament that you can buy. It's in your Bibles. It's the book of Hebrews. That's the best commentary on the Old Testament. And so under the Old Covenant, so Old Testament days, right, Israel, God's people, would seek to physically draw near to God at the temple and gain access to God there and gain a temporary forgiveness there uh, through the priests and the sacrificial system. But now, Hebrews says, in the New Covenant with Jesus, the reality that those practices foreshadowed has now arrived. Now you think about it this way, those practices were a shadow of the real thing, and the real thing has come in Jesus. Now, there is, uh, there is Jesus, see, now I should say, now there is Jesus, the, the great high priest, who has made a complete, once and for all, perfect sacrifice, not in a human temple or a tabernacle, pre-temple days, like that was a big tent, but on the cross. So Hebrews describes this as a sacrifice before the very throne of God. By this once and for all, all-sufficient sacrifice of himself, Jesus has provided complete forgiveness and opened the way up for us to approach the throne of God with confidence. And so you see that first verse in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's by Jesus' death on the cross that his, his, the forgiveness of our sin that's, that made possible by that, made possible by that, we can have confidence to have a right relationship with God. We can enter the most holy place because of Jesus. Now, this is, um, and this drawing near to God, Hebrews says, it's got nothing to do with a building. No, it's, it's got all to do with Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. Now, this is important stuff as we think about church because over the centuries, we Christians haven't always got it right. We've modelled church on that Old Testament way of thinking, uh, on the temple as our church buildings, as some holy place where God's presence dwelt. And we approach God there and gain access to him by going there and taking part in various special religious activities and, and rituals. But as we read Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament, we see something quite different. All, all this type of stuff, this Old Testament, this, uh, this uh, sacrificial system, which pointed us to the cross, don't forget that. It points us to Jesus, helps us to understand Jesus and what he did for us. But as we read the Old Testament and the rest of the New Testament, we see something quite different. Uh, as we read sorry, Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament, we see something quite different. Uh, all, this all this type of stuff has been superseded by something so much better. We now have confidence to meet God and be close to him through Jesus by his death. And not through any priest or minister or any leader or anything like that uh, or any building. See, the point is, church is not somewhere we go to get special access to God. Truth is, it's the reverse. And I think that's the point of Hebrews 10. 
Church is a gathering of people who already have access to God through Jesus Christ and who are looking forward to living for his return. Now, I'm going to press the pause button for a minute because we don't, we don't, we don't get confused here. This doesn't mean that people who uh, haven't put their trust in Jesus, who, who, who aren't, wouldn't call themselves Christians, it doesn't mean that those people cannot come to church. Not, not true at all. Anyone is welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. In fact, what better place to go to find out about Jesus? Where else can you go and ask free questions about Jesus and find out about Of course church is the place to go. Uh, church is a place to, to, to be loved as well, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But anyone's welcome here. It's a great place to hear the good news about Jesus. So church is a place for anyone um, to come along to uh, and respond and therefore, well, to keep that language going, to gain access to God, right? Okay, so I guess this all raises an important question. Uh, what is the purpose of church? Uh, that's, oh, I'll put that up there. Uh, what is the purpose of church? If we can gain access to God and be friends and not enemies with him, our sins forgiven through Jesus, have a right relationship with him, with Jesus, anywhere and everywhere, and we do that, what's the purpose of church then? What's the point of being here? Well, let's step back again and ask an important question. What is church? Well, the word simply means assembly or gathering. Uh, if you want to put your Greek nerd hats on, um, it, it just it, the word is ecclesia or ecclesia, some people call it. Uh, they're, of course, wrong. It's ecclesia. Um, uh, church, church is a get-together. And as we saw last week, Christians getting together is special. The Christian get-together is a special meeting, a special gathering or assembly. Um, it's special and precious to God. That's what church is. It's a gathering of all people who have been saved and given access to God through the death of Jesus. And so as we get together as church, in one sense, we do that because we're family. We, we have the same heavenly father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we belong together. We share the same spirit. Uh, we read in 1 Corinthians as well. But we also get together because we need each other. That's a bit like a family too, isn't it? Some families... That doesn't work as well. And I think that that's the point of Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Look with me there. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. We get together because we need each other. So the author of Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together. You see that? Don't do it. Uh, he says, um, but keep on doing this. What is it? Spurring one another on, one another on towards love and good deeds. Now don't, don't give up. But actually keep meeting together and keep spurring one another, one another on towards love and good deeds. Keep on encouraging each other. Now how long we do, do we do that for? Do we do it just until morning tea's over? No, no, no. We actually do it until Jesus returns. That's how long we do it. That could be 15 minutes away. We don't really know. Um, but it also could be 100 years away or whatever. Who knows? Um, we do it until we, just, we keep on doing it. That's the point. Now, in our 1 Corinthians passages... It's the same point. It's the same point. Keep on loving each other and spurring one another on, one another on towards love and good deeds. Uh, 1 Corinthians tell, tells us, flip over there now if you like. I'm going to do the same thing. 1 Corinthians 13, and we're, we're jumping into 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14 as well. 1 Corinthians tells us the one abiding principle that should drive everything about church. 
This is not a rhetorical question. I want an answer. What is that one abiding principle that drives everything about church? One word answer. Excellent. Well done. You all get a big tick. It's love. Love. That's the one abiding principle that, dri- that should drive everything about church. And so come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll sort of start around verse 4. Just, well, it says be patient, so be patient, because I'm going to jump around a bit, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Listen to, listen to, uh, listen to how Paul describes love, and uh, listen to what Paul describes as the most excellent way. And it's, and it's the sort of love we're not going to find on a Hallmark card or something like that. And it's not the love, the type of love you declare for your car. You know, I love my car. You know? No, no, no. So love is not envy. You see that? You'll find it somewhere there. Love is not envy. Uh, love is not jealous of another person's good. That's what envy is, isn't it? Uh, love does not boast. It isn't focused on what people think of me. Now, just as you think these through, think about these in the context of church. Right? I'll keep going. Love isn't proud. It isn't preoccupied with my own importance. That's pride. Uh, It isn't rude. It doesn't offend by improper words and actions. Love isn't self-seeking. So what love does, love turns my concerns away from myself and my welfare. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. To love is to lose interest in my rights. Now that's radical talk in today's world. I'm going to lose interest in my rights. That's what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It's concerned for the other. It's truthful. It's faithful. A good definition of, of love I've used before, um, I really uh, I, I, I didn't put on the screen. Oh, there it is. Good. It's up there. Excellent. All right. Great. Um, so love is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. I'll read that again. Love is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. I think that's a good definition of love. I wish I made it up, but I didn't. Um, that's okay. It's a, it's, love is the desire which leads to action for the good of me, so I feel better about myself. No, that's for the good of another. And it might even cost me something. That's what love is. So love seeks the good of others rather than myself. So at church, it's very, very simple. Our aim, one of our aims, but our key aim as we gather together, is to love. Now, Paul fleshes this out a bit more in chapter 14. Now, we won't get into some of the... There's a few controversial things there about tongues and so on. You're very welcome to ask me about them um, after church if you want to do that and we can talk about them. But let's just make sure we don't miss the main point that Paul's making. As Christians gather together doing church, he says love, and here's a way, he fleshes that out and explains it a bit more in 1 Corinthians 14. So that is to build others and to build, uh, to be built ourselves, and we do this out of love. So have a look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Uh, sort of summarising halfway through his argument. But so it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, so that was part of the conversation, the context there, Try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Building up. That's what love means, to build up the church. We'll go one more. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What shall I say then? Now, Paul really is concluding his argument here. When you come together, everyone has a word or a word of instruction or revelation, a tongue or interpretation. 
All of these must be done. Why? For the strengthening, it's the same word actually, building up of the church. See, love, love isn't about insisting on my way or the highway. Uh, it doesn't insist on my rights. Love's not obsessed with my own enjoyment or inconvenience, actually. Love doesn't complain or grumble or stay at home in bed because it couldn't be bothered um, or go surfing because that sounds like a better idea at the time. Uh, no, no, that's not love. Uh, lo- love seeks the good of another, even at cost to yourself. Uh, patiently, in kindness, joyfully, truthfully, consistently. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul also Paul makes this clear by the, the way he wants the church in Corinth to build each other up um, in love, and it's mostly in the way they speak. So there's, Paul makes the point, we love each other, we build each other up, that's sort of fleshing out that idea of what love looks, love looks like, but mostly it's in the way we speak. That's how we love each other. And so let me just take you to chapter 14, verse 9. Uh, where are we? Verse, verse 9. Uh, so it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will, you, will anyone know uh, what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Now, what, what Paul's saying there is that he's, he's comparing... Uh, speaking in tongues, which are unintelligible words, uh, to intelligible words which build others up. And so Paul says simply, speak to each other in, in, in intelligible words that build each other up. Uh, and, and that's his priority as church meets together. And so uh, how we speak to, uh, to each, other, each other builds each other up. So the building up or edifying, um, and that can be speaking the word of God to each other, and Paul calls that prophecy as well. We'll come more to that in the next coming weeks, but let's not, pull, let's, let's not miss the point. Um, the point is very simple. Church is not about me. Uh, that's, church is not about me. Very simple. It's not about my experience or what I can get out of it. Loving our church is not about how much I enjoy it or love it or like it. Uh, it's about how constantly and actively we all love not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, but anyone who walks through that door. Uh, whoever, wherever they're at, we love them. The church built, seeks to love them and to build them up in Christ. Whoever walks through that door, that's our aim. Love them, build them up in Christ. And mostly we do that through our words. Now the great challenge is to make sure this building work is not just left up to a few. A small number serving and loving and building up many we could call that a ministry of the few, right? Um, just a small amount of people doing all the loving and building. However, God's design for church is actually quite different. Um, I'm going to steal a phrase here. It's, it's the opposite. It's a ministry of the pew. <laughs> um, we don't have pews. We've got them over there. These are much more comfortable. Um, that is, building up others is something for everyone. Everyone who puts a bum on a seat. The ministry of the pew. It's a great little term. Um, every, everyone can be doing the building work, speaking God's word to others, praying for others, encouraging others. Okay, well, let's go back to our original question. Remember our original question? I got you to put it in a little part of your head so you wouldn't forget. I hope you remember your answer. Why did you come to church this morning? I'm wondering, would you change your answer in the light of what we've looked at today from God's word. 
I wonder if you if you charge it. I don't know. How about I pray and um, we'll uh, we'll continue our service after that. Or well, we'll have some question and answer time. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Uh, we just thank you for the, the privilege that church is. We thank you to you, Lord God, that, that church, we are special and precious to you. Uh, we thank you that church is that. And um, Lord, we just pray that we'd hear your word today and we'll put it into practice. Um, and we thank you that we're able to love each other and build each other up in the Lord Jesus. Amen.